I would just feel better if we had a dedicated team on standby, just in case, the lead researcher said to me as we sat in his office. I nodded from the wood and faux leather guest chair I sat in. Well, you've got me and my team now, Dr. Spielman, I said. The brass seem to think that whatever you're working on is worth having my team sit around and grow complacent. I immediately regretted the jab. It just wasn't my day. Problems with the wife, problems with the kid, drama with a couple of members of my team, lots of bullshit. But that was no reason to take it out on Spielman, who was already a timid man. A look of shame fell over his face and his eyes went down to his hands, folded neatly in his lap. Look, I said, unable to muster an actual apology. I'm kidding. This is going to be the break that my team needs. It's fine. Spielman's eyes came back up to me, a little life in them. Why do you think there won't be any action? He asked in a challenging tone. Why did I think that? I had to ask myself. Maybe because there hadn't been a serious incident on the project for years, but I was jumping the gun. I hadn't even heard the man out yet. And I certainly hadn't had time to review the entire research packet I'd been given when assigned to the job. You're right, I said to him. I shouldn't assume that. Why don't you tell me what's going on? I'm here to help. Mr. Sardez. Call me Emilio, I said. Emilio, have you not read your research packet yet? Of course I have, I lied. But I still like to hear from the guys who actually work on the project. Believe me, it makes a difference. Spielman seemed to buy it, taking a deep breath before launching into the story about SCP-974. He told me how the one entity that he was in charge of took the form of a child, but was much stronger and faster than any human. I perked up and started listening harder when he said that the most effective weapons to control the entity were flamethrowers. Projectiles, knives, and bludgeons did nothing to the little bastard. Then he went on to tell me how once every three months, they'd bust some kids into the wooded containment area and let them loose, telling them it was a day trip. Usually, the SCP-974 entity would pick one of these poor souls and, after a few days of harmless playing, would devour the kid. Then, after about 10 or 12 days, the entity would appear as the kid at eight, wearing that disguise until the next meal came along three months later. I wondered where they were getting these kids, but knew better than to ask. Dr. Spielman himself probably didn't know. Poor little bastards. Okay, I'm following you. So what's changed? Well, Spielman said, the ethics committee has deemed the feeding of children to the SCP a violation, even though we've been doing it for some time. No shit, I said. There's an ethics committee? It was supposed to be a joke, but Spielman didn't laugh. He just glared at me in his mouse-like way. It was less than threatening. I even thought it was kind of funny, but I could tell that he was upset about the ethics committee's ruling, so I suppressed a smile. Some sick doctors work for the foundation, that much I'd known for a long time. Anyway, he continued, it has been nearly five months since the SCP's last feeding, and it's exhibiting some very unusual behavior, as I'm sure you know from your research packet. Go on, I said ignoring his little jab. 
It buried itself in the ground, he said. And that's why you're worried? It's getting bigger. I'm afraid it's transforming into something different. More of a threat, perhaps. I see, I said. Well, let's hope not. Yes, well, that's why you're here, Spielman said. You'll be required to stand by at the nearby barracks and be on alert so you can be at the enclosure within 15 minutes. Yes, I'm familiar with my job, I said. Well, that's a relief, Spielman said. He tried his little glaring thing again, and I threw my own right back at him. He averted his eyes seconds later. I gave him points for trying, though. Well, thanks for the info, Doc, I said, standing up. You call us if you need anything. In 24 hours, we'll be on standby. I left his office thinking that it would be one of the easier jobs my team and I had ever done. I didn't know then how wrong I was. Alarm klaxons surprised me, causing me to drop my book to the floor between my feet. The only thing worse than getting interrupted during your morning dump is getting interrupted from sleep. So at least I wasn't waking up to the damn alarm. I cursed, cleaned up, and hurried out of the bathroom to find most of my team already halfway geared up. They were all present and accounted for. Reyes, Delaney, Sashon and Peters, Dietrich and Brown. Who took the call? I said. I did, Delaney said, pulling on her torso armor. They say it came out of the ground and started attacking nearby agents. It has killed at least three so far. Okay, let's move people, I shouted, even though I would probably be the last one on the truck. The ride from the barracks was about eight minutes. Reyes drove while everyone else sat on benches in the back of the uncovered truck bed. I finished pulling on my armor and checking my flamethrower in the truck. All of us had flamethrowers, but Brown and Dietrich each carried an assault rifle. We also had backup weapons in the truck, along with explosives. The main security station for the SCP-974 enclosure was concrete with a steel roof. There were other stations placed around, but this was the biggest. It housed 10 security officers at any given time, providing them with all they needed to live there. It was sandwiched between a concrete electric wire topped fence, essentially making it the gate to the entire enclosure. The enclosure itself was in a forest of pine trees. The area in front of the station had long since been cleared of trees for parking, but there was no pavement or concrete, just a dirt clearing in the middle of the woods. As we pulled up outside the station and jumped out of the truck, we heard gunfire coming from inside the enclosure. Why are they firing guns? Brown said. I thought only flamethrowers worked. He looked at me, but I didn't have an answer to the question. Someone screamed from inside the enclosure, a sound which was quickly followed by the grinding of metal. Suspecting what had happened, I jogged back away from the facility so I could see the roof. Sure enough, one of the corners on the rectangular structure had been torn open. More gunfire sounded from inside the station, followed by more screams. Brown and Dietrich moved to go inside, but I stopped them. Wait, I said, listening as the last of the gunfire stopped along with a blood-curdling scream that faded to a loud gargle. Back up, I told my team. The station went utterly quiet. My team stood ahead of me, arrayed in a loose semicircle about 20 yards from the main door. I was a good 15 yards further back, still looking at the damaged roof, waiting. 
After about 15 seconds, the door swung open, revealing a young woman covered in blood and walking with a limp. Help me, she said, her left arm cradled in her right hand as if it were broken. Stop there, Brown called out, raising his Armalite AR-18. She kept coming forward. My team backed away to keep the woman at a safe distance. I know her, Sashan said. That's Georgia. She works in the station. Stop now or tell us the password, Brown said, referring to the verbal password assigned to this SCP that could help us tell friend from foe. Help me, Georgia said, still moving forward. Fire, I called out. As soon as the word was out of my mouth, Brown and Dietrich fired their assault rifles at the woman, while Sashan and Peters unleashed on her with their flamethrowers. The flames enveloped the woman, obscuring her from sight. Enough time passed for me to think that I'd just ordered the death of a fellow Foundation agent. But then, Sashan and Peters let off, stopping the outpouring of flame from their weapons. And the figure that stood there was no human. It had white skin that was unmarred by the flames, unblemished by the bullets. As we watched, it exploded in size, growing from the size of an average woman to a gaunt and blank-faced figure, skeletal thin, but over eight feet tall. It was completely bald and had only slits for eyes and a mouth. I could see no evidence of ears or a nose. Sashan opened up with her flamethrower again, but it just angered the thing, making it charge toward her. She backpedaled, but not nearly fast enough. The creature's long legs made quick work of the distance, snatching Sashan up with its two oversized hands and snapping her in half in a spray of blood and intestines. The rest of my team unleashed on the creature, but I already knew that the flamethrowers were of no use. Neither were the guns. I dropped my flamethrower and ran for the truck, knowing that it was the only chance we had. Each lunge forward I took seemed to last a good minute. I was sharply aware of my team and what the creature was doing to them. When I was about halfway to the truck, the SCP kicked Peters with one of its broad, flat feet, striking the man in the legs. His knees snapped backwards, folding the wrong way. Peter screamed, falling down to land with the front of his thighs on his feet. The SCP then stomped on his head, popping the man's skull like a grape under a hammer. Reyes and Delaney were trying to subdue the thing with their flamethrowers, but it clearly wasn't having any effect. Reyes seemed to realize this, shutting off his weapon and turning to run. Meanwhile, the creature lunged over at Delaney, grabbing her in both hands, then slamming her back on the ground. The sudden pressurization of her flamethrower's holding tanks caused the weapon to explode, sending pieces of Delaney flying in all directions. I was closing in on the truck when this happened, and I saw that the creature stumbled back from the explosion, hands protectively in front of its face. It was the first and only evidence I'd seen of its vulnerability. Reyes, I called, seeing that he was closer than the other two surviving members of my team. Bring it by the truck. I saw Reyes set his face and nod slightly just before I threw myself into the back of the truck. I scrambled over to a metal box and opened the lid, pulling out a single grenade. Then I climbed up onto the truck's cab to see that I was just in time. Reyes had apparently sprayed the creature with his flamethrower while I was snagging the grenade. Now he was running full tilt from it, heading right for the truck. I pulled the pin on the grenade, but kept the safety lever pressed down. And I crouched there, muscles tensed, waiting for the right time. Reyes unclipped his flamethrower and let it fall off his back as he was running. Then he dove under the near side of the truck. The creature lumbered up, slowing slightly as it approached. 
I let the safety lever go and jumped. The creature's mouth was just a slit in the lower portion of its face. A small target, but that's what I was aiming for. I punched down into its mouth, feeling the strange sticky and rubbery flesh fold out of the way. My arm went in past the elbow. Some of my skin scraped off against the creature's blocky teeth. I let go of the grenade and tried to yank my arm out, but the teeth clamped down, pinning my arm in place. I looked up into the creature's eye slits, but they betrayed no emotion. Then the grenade exploded. I fell to the ground and looked up at the creature. It hadn't exploded, not like I'd expected it to, but it stumbled away from me and fell down. I sat up and watched the creature, half expecting it to move, to get back up, to finish my team off. But it didn't move, not on its own, not ever again. The next thing I knew, Reyes and Dietrich were next to me, speaking reassuring words and telling me not to move. I didn't realize why at first, but when Dietrich took off his belt and wrapped it tightly around my right upper arm, I looked down to see that half of my arm was gone. I was taken to the hospital and treated. Two days later, Dr. Spielman came to see me. I sat in the hospital bed with my one good arm and asked him if he could make me a promise. What's that? He asked. If we catch any more of those SCPs, we kill them right away, I said. Spielman shook his head. Even if that were in my power, I couldn't promise it to you. There are far worse SCPs out there. An SCP-974 entity could be the key to defeating them. That's why we experiment. I nodded through the morphine haze clouding my brain. Fine, then promise me this. The next one you get, you make sure and feed that bastard some children every three months. Spielman smiled. It was a promise he could make. SCP-974 is a carnivorous creature that superficially resembles a human child. It possesses greater durability, strength, and stamina than a child of commensurate size and does not appear to be deterred by bullets or melee weaponry. It has been demonstrated to have an extremely adverse reaction to open flame, however. Each time it successfully consumes a human child, it enters a state of torpor and its form changes over the course of 10 to 12 days to replicate that of the most recently consumed child. It is capable of speaking any language the consumed child knew, although its vocabulary and speech structure is always very limited and simple. An SCP-974 entity will build at least one nest or treehouse structure in its preferred wooded area of operation. Then it will seek to lure a group of between two and five prey subjects to follow it to the structure in order to play. SCP-974 will participate in simple physical play activities such as hide and seek or tag with the subjects, allowing them to leave and return at a later time. The behavior pattern can last up to a week before SCP-974 invites a single prey target to play with it alone. At this point, whether the target accepts or declines the offer, SCP-974 will subdue the target and consume the child, leaving the clothing with only minor damage and fluid staining. Recent experimentation whereupon researchers did not provide children for prey ultimately resulted in the deaths of over a dozen Foundation members. Normal feeding routines have since been enacted to keep SCP-974 entities under control. 